The biggest international festival for the business of podcasting is back. The Podcast Show London will bring together thousands of podcast creators under one roof on the 22nd and 23rd of May. Also featuring major industry players, global brands and some of the most iconic voices in podcasting. Plus creator meetups, networking and an evening festival of unmissable live shows. Passes from £89. Book yours now at thepodcastshowlondon.com. StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, it feels like I just talked to you a couple days ago. You know, it's funny you should mention that because I, I did just talk to you a couple days ago. We're recording just a few days after we recorded with Ryan. And I got to say, Ben, I'm not not feeling confident that we're going to top that episode. That was a darn good episode. But fortunately, we get to talk about Cube this week, which is absolute gasoline. Yeah. Wait, aren't we supposed to rename our podcast Sultans of Standard this week because you're playing in the mocks? Uh, we could do that, but that seems like false advertising. And we could just talk about black green midrange or whatever deck you're playing. Yeah, I'm going to play some black green midrange. Uh, I've jammed lots of best of one games on arena. If that counts as practice, I've played zero sideboarded games (laughs) with black green. (laughs) I have a sideboard guide and I'm going to go run, give it my, give it my best effort and probably scrub out within a few rounds and get up to my brothers for Christmas. Great. That's win-win for you. Yeah, I, I'm only planning on not going up there if I'm like 6-0 or 7-0 or something like that, which I doubt <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> nice. So yeah, we are recording on the eve of Holiday Cube dropping on Magic Online, but this will be released many days after, so we'll have gotten a good number of reps in. Cube is something that's very near and dear to both of our hearts, Ben. It really is. I am looking forward to diving into these cube packs with you. Yeah, for sure. So we are going to sort of do the 12 picks of Cubes Miss, as we've dubbed it for this week, and take a look at a few drafts from the last iteration of the Holiday Cube, go 12 picks deep on them, talk about a lot of cards, a lot of archetypes, uh, a lot of combos, get you all excited, get your palettes wet and ready for Holiday Cube this week. But before we get into any of that, got to talk about the Patreon, Ben. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is the place to give back to the show. If you so choose, of course, the show will always be free. But, you know, the holiday cheer may be filling your spirit and you want to give back to the show. You've been crushing the drafts on Arena or on Magic Online or at your FNM, getting ready for a GP, all that good stuff. And you want to show some love our way. We really appreciate it. You get access to a bunch of stuff and the place to be to discuss Limited. You get access to the Lords of Limited Discord. That's where anyone and everyone who's a drafter is going to be to talk about new sets, card evaluations. We've already got Ravnica Allegiance spoilers coming out, and we are ready. People are already bubbling about the new mechanics and all the new cards. I'm really excited. Spoiler season is just the best. It really is. I can't wait to see what our preview card is. Ooh, hopefully baby, we get, Hopefully yes. we get another one, and I am stoked about the mechanics. I've seen a couple of them already. Yeah, it looks great. And we want to make sure we shout out each and every person the first week they join, and we did just record a couple days ago, so we just have one person to welcome to the fold this week. Peter, thank you so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. That's that's a nice personal touch there. I think that's the first time we've just had one person. I know. I love it. I hope you feel special, Peter. I hope you feel special. (laughs) So we've done a handful of Cube episodes in the past, and we're really trying not to overlap with that content because something that's so great about Cube is that once you sort of have a sense of it, it's kind of evergreen. The Holiday Cube doesn't really change that much. You know, they'll maybe swap out 10 or 15 cards each time it comes around, but you know, by and large, it's going to be the same drafting experience. So what's great about that is that episodes we've done on Cube in the past sort of stay relevant. So we really want to encourage folks to go check out older Cube episodes if you haven't already. Um, So that's going to be number 10 is our introduction to Cube. Episode 25 is our vintage Cube crash course. Episode 41, sort of uh, not 
Cube focused specifically, but uh, episode 41 on learning new formats so it can be applied to Cube. And we do talk about Cube in that episode. And then episode 52, we had Cube with Caleb Durward. So all four of those episodes, I think, are great resources to anyone who hasn't heard them and is interested in dipping their toe into Cube or just learning a bit more about Cube and has already dipped their toe, their ankle deep, their knee deep, any of that stuff. Yeah, I think the most relevant of those is probably 25, the Vintage Cube Crash Course, specific to this Cube. I think that could probably be a pretty big level up for you. Yeah, for sure. Um, we talk about the so the sort of archetypes that are, are relevant there. Storm is a big one that doesn't really exist in, in other cube archetypes. But we're going to try not and do any overlap with those episodes, assuming that you've either listened to them or we're going to go back and listen to them. want to make sure we're giving you new, fresh content. So we got some some listicle here, Ben. We've got 12 rules of Cubesmiths before we get into the 12 picks of Cubesmiths. Uh, what do we got, got going on here? Rule number one, fast mana is greater than five <laughs> greater than symbols on the count. <laughs> So I think what that boils down to is this this cube is powered, uh, which means the Moxes are in it, Black Lotus, etc. Um, there's things like Mana Vault, Soul Ring, other ways to ramp quickly. And one of the best things you can do in this cube is play powerful cards like two to three to four turns ahead of time, depending on how many resources you're willing to invest. So I think the single best card in the cube is Soul Ring. That's one mana artifact that taps to add two colorless mana to your mana pool. Effects like that are fairly abundant and you should take advantage of them and try to draft them highly and they will help make your deck quite a bit better yeah it's one of the biggest differences between vintage cube and other cube iterations you'll see is the abundance of that incredibly explosive artifact mana number two two card combos that win the game instantly are things to look out for this is the sort of orat approach the owen turtonwald approach there's a lot of two card combos three card combos that can win the game instantly or essentially win the game. We're looking at like, you know, Splinter Twin and Pestermite, that sort of thing, or Kiki Jiki, those infinite creature combos. We've got, you know, Through the Breach and Emrakul or Sneak Attack and Emrakul. A lot of these combos involve the spaghetti monsters. You can do Channel into one of those cards as well. Um, A lot of those two card combos to look to like have an explosive turn, get a big fat creature into play, something that's going to be hugely game impacting many, many turns before you actually should be able to cast it. All those things are really important to look out for. Yes, one of the things that is great when you're doing it and not great when you're on the receiving end of it is Channel Emrakul. You feel like a million bucks when you do it and you feel miserable when it gets done to you, but that's what you're signing up for when you play Vintage Cube. Yeah, it's one of the like great things about Vintage Cube and the worst things. It's like you can have games back to back to back of like, I didn't get to play Magic this turn. I didn't get to play Magic. Oh, my opponent didn't get to play Magic. That is sort of a, a byproduct of Vintage Cube for sure. Rule number three, don't pass power. So that includes the power nine, the moxes, black lotus. You could pass time twister. That's the one that shuffles your hand and your graveyard into your library and each player draws a new hand of seven cards. That one's maybe passable. Time walk, ancestral recall, don't pass those cards. And then there's sort of like some honorary power type cards like fast bond, yogmas will, soul ring, channel, library of Alexandria. I mean, we could make a whole list. We go over a lot of those cards in our other cube episode. So make sure you check that one out. But do not pass the most powerful cards in the cube. Yeah, that's really like a power 20, maybe. (laughs) Uh, Number four, when in doubt between two cards, pick the cheaper card. This is just good cube philosophy across the board if you want finishers you'll get them now in in vintage cube obviously you know the cards we're talking about uh, over and over sort of our archetype or combo dependent like the the eldrazi monsters or maybe like a grizzle brand or or an inkwell leviathan or a blightsteel colossus like some some sort of irreplaceable fatties depending on the strategy you're going for but by and large otherwise between two cards if you have a choice go with the cheaper option and i think following right up behind that when you're deciding between a land and a card you should generally take the land. Fixing is super busted in this cube. So the value of fixing goes up with the power level of the cards that you're trying to splash. And there are crazy powerful cards to splash. There's cards like Mind Twist, Single Black X. Target player discards X cards at random from their hand. If you've got a random black duel or two lying around and you can splash Mind Twist, that greatly increases the power level of your deck. And there's tons of things like that throughout the cube that you're going to want to splash. And you never know which ones you're going to see or when. So picking lands early and often is a great recipe for success. Yeah, absolutely. Taking lands highly is, I think, one of the biggest level ups for cube of all time. And I we've talked about this every time we talk about cube, but it's just so, so important to realize why taking lands is such a good strategy. Yeah, it lets you play more of the cards that you would draft. Instead of getting to play 23 of your draft picks, you get to play, you know, maybe up to 35 or 40, you know, if you went ham on taking lands. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
Number six, if you aren't doing something busted, and I really hope that you are, but if you're not, you need cheap disruption and a very low curve to compete. So we're looking at targeted discard like Thoughtseize, Inquisition of Kozilek, that sort of thing. You're looking at cheap counter spells. The Powered Cube has a ton of counter spells. There's like the one mana ones like Force Spike or Spell Snare. Mana Tithe, my arch enemy. <laughs> Isn't Daze more of your arch enemy? Yeah, all of them. Force <laughs> Spike, Mana Tithe, Daze, just wrap them up in a bundle and I hate them just all. Cut them, cut them from the cube the trinity <laughs> hate bears these exist a lot in in white and green generally these like two mana creatures like thalia guardian of thraben that makes non-creature spells cost one more there's a lot of these cards that sort of like prey upon people trying to do busted things cards that don't let players draw more than one card a turn like spirit of the labyrinth to shut down ancestral recall that sort of thing um so you really want to be looking at getting low to the ground and disrupting those decks and i'll also add to this if you aren't doing something busted caleb durward really showed us the light when it came to angels and dragons like five mana flyers are pretty good when you aren't getting to do busted things in cube sometimes you just go you know turn one mana vault and turn three storm breath dragon and your opponent is dead to your storm breath dragon number seven blue is the best color and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. It really takes advantage of artifact synergies, and artifacts are some of the best cards because a lot of the cards that ramp you, you know, we've said fast mana is really good. Almost all of those cards are artifacts, or at least a lot of them are. Has access to Ancestral Recall and Time Walk, which are two of the Power Nine cards that are colored. You've got card draw, and card draw's value again goes up as the quality of the cards you're drawing goes up, and they're very powerful cards in Vintage Cube, as well as permission. So counter spells and things like that that are going to let you interact with your opponent. Oftentimes, your opponents will be investing multiple resources into casting one single card or one key card in their deck, and if you can have a counter spell loaded up and ready to go, you pretty much nullify everything they've done up to that point. Draft a deck with a plan is number eight, and this is just... Again, this is just good quality advice for any cube across the board. You want to draft a deck with a plan, not a pile of good cards. I think that's one of the earliest mistakes folks make. It's definitely one of the earliest mistakes I made was just drafting like a bunch of powerful four drops. Ooh, that's a good card. That's a good card. Ooh, that's a rare. Uh, you really want to draft a deck with a plan, and you have to do that sort of tenfold in Vintage Cube because there's so many powerful options, so many powerful synergies. So be on the lookout for the combos, for the strong archetypes, for the strong cards that go in any archetype. All of those things are going to lead you down the path of drafting a deck rather than drafting a pile of good cards. Next one is especially aimed for first-timers. Rule number nine, watch cube content before diving in. And YouTube videos are even better than streams, I think, since people are going to be a lot more likely to explain their thought process there. So, you know, I know you and I both grew up on all the Channel Fireball videos with LSB, Caleb Durward, Reed Duke, Paul Cheon, Greg Hatch, Andy Cooperfaust. There's tons of great cube content out there on YouTube. Uh, lots of great stuff on Channel Fireball's website. You should definitely go check it out. It's a great way to learn how to play cube. That's how I learned, and I'm pretty sure that's how you learn, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I would encourage folks, again, because Holiday Cube, this powered cube that they release every so often is basically evergreen. It hasn't really changed a ton since its first iteration. You can really go back years to check out this content. So folks on this list, like Paul Chian doesn't make magic content anymore. He works at R&D, but his cube draft videos are fantastic, especially to learn how to draft what is known as blue-white Chians, but he's like, <laughs> you know, famous for drafting blue-white control decks in cube, and he's great at it, and it's a really good guide for that uh my personal favorite magic content creator who doesn't really create content anymore greg hatch used to create videos for channel fireball and i think his draft videos are great and he's got a lot of really neat ideas of pointing out different card interactions and all that stuff i think is really helpful to see and once you watch a few videos you'll get a sense for most of the cards in the cube and you'll get to watch matches and you'll see not only the person who drafted the deck but their opponents and you'll really get a good sense of like what's going on in the cube and i think even just watching a few videos before you dive in will really greatly alleviate any stress you have because cube can be daunting number 10 something very near and dear to our hearts ben Balance is Bay. So we got to talk about, I think it's our favorite card of all time, right? It really is my favorite card of all time. Yeah. yeah. Balance is one and a white for a sorcery, and it has each player go down to the same number of cards in hand, lands in play, and creatures in play. Now, this may not sound super exciting, but once you see it in practice and when you see it abused, it's very powerful. And don't let people try and fool you that, oh, it's only situationally good. No, it's just good like all the time. And it Always goes all the time. so late. So late. Criminally late. 
it wheels, it goes six pick, whatever. Like I just, I always take it when I see it in a pack because it's my favorite card. And I also think it's really, really strong. It's especially abusable with artifact mana because balance does not count artifacts. So if you've played a few signets or some Moxin or anything like that, now you've gotten some cards out of your hand, you've affected the board, but you maybe don't have as many lands as your opponent, or you don't have as many creatures as they do because they've been affecting the board in a different way. And boop, you get to mind twist them, you get to stone rain them, you get to wrath them. All that stuff is so, so sweet and balance is great. Yeah, not truth in naming. <laughs> it's not very balanced. Also doesn't count planeswalkers and works very well because it can sometimes ensure that there's a clear board if you don't have any creatures on the battlefield and you cast right. your balance. Balance might be the reason this podcast exists, honestly. like <laughs> I don't think we had cubed before. I don't think we knew this before we started the show. No, we definitely we definitely had talked about it. Yeah, okay. because there had been, right. been maybe not powered cube we hadn't done, but we had done cube like in the, the March, April months. I'm pretty sure I knew that about you because I was thinking like, how bad could this guy be if he thinks balance is awesome also? <laughs> Yeah, it's true. It's a really good test of character. Like if you're unsure you want to be friends with someone, you should ask them how they feel about balance. Yeah, I think so. Rule number 11. Mono red is public enemy number one. Don't be the enemy. Now, come on. Yeah, I mean, it, whatever. That's a little harsh. But so <laughs> mono red is known as the fun police in cube. And it's a pretty straightforward deck to draft. Sometimes you just got to do it. You know, some people really like doing it. Uh, Lee Sharp is pretty famous for being a huge mono red advocate. It's pretty easy to join a draft and say, I'm going to draft mono red. That's a great way to get your feet wet in cube. Like most of the time that deck will be open. Pretty much you pick red cards, the cheaper, the better, and you smash your opponent's face in. I also will say that drafting mono red towards the end of a cube format is a great way to pick up play points. Because like the last <laughs> yes. couple days, no one wants to do it. Everyone's like, oh, I haven't, oh, I haven't gotten to draft sneak attack yet. Oh, I haven't gotten to draft this mono green deck yet. Mono red's always open the last few days of cube. And finally, number 12, have fun. Seriously, cube is not a competitive format. The huge range from red deck wins to storming off and everything in between there's a lot to explore, and we really encourage you all to do what's fun. Maybe you'll lose a few play points or tickets here and there, but it's not that difficult to at least have it be a slow bleed in these phantom point or these uh, these phantom draft events that that do play points and tickets. And there's just so many cool things to get to do. Like you know, I've won two with many storm decks and had a blast. I think there's a lot out there for everyone, and I really encourage you to like dive in and just like be ready for a fun experience. Yeah, my my cube drafting usually goes in waves of like I try really hard, and then I try to do some sweet stuff and lose a bunch of play points, and I'm like, all right, I got to buckle down and try hard again, get some play points back, and then try to do some sweet stuff. Except there was one one whole winter where all I did was draft storm. <laughs> I lost lost so much, but it was so much fun. Yeah, it's so funny. I feel like you and I had the same sort of like progressions of cube of like figuring it out and then like, okay, this time I'm going to try storm like (laughs) and I'm just going to keep trying to force it or whatever. And yeah, it's a a great way to to light some points on fire, at least for me. So that brings us to drafts. So we're going to take you through draft logs here. We've got some draft logs picked out and we're going to go through each card and, you know, talk about what archetypes it belongs in and just follow the path that we navigated through the first 12 picks of each draft. So I've got the first one queued up here. Are you ready to take a seat, Ethan? I'm so ready. All right. Pack one, pick one. You see the following cards as options. Getaxian Probe, single blue Phyrexian mana, so you can pay two life or a blue mana to cast it. Look at target player's hand, draw a card. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch of cantrips in blue, these like one mana replacement effects. Gitaxian Probe, I think, is great specifically in Storm because it can be free. And I think also specifically in blue decks where you've got a bunch of counterspells, I think that that text of look at target player's hand becomes quite relevant. Next up, Findhorned Elves, single green for a 1-1, tap to add green to your mana pool. Fast mana is greater than... It really is. Now, like creatures aren't great. You'd prefer to have artifact fast mana, but if you're not getting the artifact fast mana, green elves is a good way to go. I think there's an instinct to look at a card like this and a card like Avenger of Zendikar maybe and just be like, oh, I need the Avenger. More often than not, like remember we said when picking between two cards, take the cheaper card. The thing that makes the green ramp decks tick is the one mana mana dorks. So like you just want as many of them as you can get your hands on. Next up, blink of an eye. Two mana, colorless and a blue for an instant. Kicker, one and a blue. Return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. If the spell was kicked, draw a card. Meh. Dominaria all-star cube, meh. (laughs) Next up, we've got Reclamation Sage. Two and a green for the 2-1 when it ETBs destroy target artifact or enchantment. 
Yeah, these effects are so main deckable. They're way more main deckable than you think. Being able to blow up artifacts and enchantments sometimes, but artifact, especially because of all the fast mana around, the artifact mana is really important. Yeah, I would play two to three copies of that type of card in my green decks. Next, Kite Sail Freebooter, one in a black for the one two flyer. When it ETBs, target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a non creature, non land card from it. Exile that card until Kite Sail Freebooter leaves the battlefield. I have a very special place in my heart for like the white black. I mean, it's sort of like smokestacks, braids, but also this like trio of these creatures. Kitesail Freebooter, Mesmeric Fiend, and Tide Hollow Scholar all have like similar effects. And Freebooter is a recent addition, as you know, because it's from Ixalan, but it really slots in nicely to that sort of like attack your hand strategy. Love those cards. Fire Blast is next. Four red red for the instant. You can sacrifice two mountains rather than pay Fire Blast mana cost. Fire Blast deals four damage to target creature or player. Ben, can I interest you in Inescapable Blaze being free? You could interest me in that. If I was drafting mono red, which I won't be. Which you won't be. Okay, I understand. Uh, Yeah, this is a great finisher in the mono red decks and is really, really powerful with that alternate cost. Next up, Everflowing Chalice. Zero for the artifact. Tap to add colorless for each charge counter on Everflowing Chalice and has multi-kicker of two. So each time you pay multi-kicker, you get a charge counter that will tap to add mana. So if you pay two, it'll tap to add one. If you pay four mana to cast it, it'll tap to add two. Beware when casting this on Magic Online that you can accidentally put it on the battlefield for zero and it will do nothing if you're not paying attention. Right. You can cast it for kicker or for multi-kicker or you can cast it or you can cast it for multi-kicker. And if you click cast it, it just goes into play as nothing as a zero mana artifact, usually followed by a cry of pain from whoever's streaming (laughs) an ellipsis in chat. (laughs) <laughs> WTF from your opponent like yeah uh, it's not great but fast mana is bay it's greater than really really fantastic pickup here Everflowing Chalice is nice because it, it like scales with the game and you can also maybe like pay four to cast it for two and then cast a signet like the things that you're allowed to then use the mana immediately on are also great because they let you double spell sometimes next up we've got Rashadden Port this is a land that taps to add colors and you can pay one and tap it to tap target land I never know how to feel about this card what are your thoughts on Port I think Port is great in any monocolored aggro deck. Yeah, that, okay, I think that's a a great way to put it. So you're trying to leverage your extra mana to deny your opponent resources on the turns where you don't have, you know, some big impactful spell to play. Yeah, and those monocolor aggro decks, if you've got like Port or like a Mutavault or a Mistress Factory, like any sort of colorless land that then can give you utility in some way allows you to like have a little bit of flood insurance, which is nice. Next up, we've got Ravages of War, three and a white for the sorcery. Destroy all lands. Oh, baby. What a great card. This and Armageddon. This is like a functional reprint of Armageddon. They're the the, the same card. Both exist in the cube. And blowing up lands sure is fun for one player (laughs) in a game of magic. (laughs) You, usually, if you're the one casting it. This goes in mono white and is a great curve topper in mono white. Next up, Goblin Dark Dwellers, three red red for the 4-4 Menace. When it ETBs, you may cast target instant or sorcery card with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard without paying its mana cost. If that card will be put into your graveyard this turn, exile it instead. I think unless I've got something like Ancestral Recall or Time Walk, I'm not super excited about Dark Dwellers. Agree. Next up, we've got Xenagos the Reveler, two red green for the Planeswalker with three starting loyalty, plus one to add X mana in any combination of red or green to your mana pool where X is the number of creatures you control. Zero to put a 2-2 red and green satyr token with haste onto the battlefield. Minus six to exile the top seven cards of your library. You may put any number of creatures and or land cards from among them onto the battlefield. Come a long way from Modern Cube. And even in Modern Cube, where red-green Garbo is king, Xenagos isn't even that good. Xenagos is a, a bad card in Cube, in my opinion. Uh, I like him fine. What? I do. I, look, I'm a sucker for Xenagos in Powered Cube. Wait, wait, you're a sucker for Xenagos and Power Cube? What decks are you putting this in? I don't know, any deck with a Signet in it that has red and green mana? The turn three Xenagos is big game. Some decks just can't compete with 2-2 Hasters in Powered Cube. Wow, what? I want to play against those decks. <laughs> Next up, we've got Kozilek, Butcher of Truth. 10 mana for the 12-12. When you cast Kozilek, draw four cards. Has Annihilator 4, so whenever it attacks, defending player sacrifices four permanents. And when it's put into a graveyard from anywhere, its owner shuffles their library, their graveyard into their library. So, you know, these the, the shuffle effects on 
Eldrazi we've talked about before, but you can reanimate them with instant speed reanimation. You can like nab it as it's like going to shuffle in, but doesn't quite get there. That triggers on the stack. Uh, you know, Kozilek is so funny because it's like sort of in between. It's like 10 mana, which feels like maybe I could even cast that if I have like mana vault or soul ring. And it's not quite powerful enough to like cheat it into play. But Annihilator 4 is a big game if you're like sneaking that in or through the breaching it. Um, it's not, it doesn't entice me as much as like, you know, Emrakul or one of the Ulamogs. Next, we've got Joyra, Weatherlight Captain, two blue red for the 3-3. Whenever you cast a historic spell, draw a card. This really impressed me in the last iteration of the Power Cube. This is a recent edition, obviously, because it's from Dominaria. But there's a lot of historic cards in Cube because you're trying to draft fast mana. Artifacts are very good. So it's not hard to trigger this, and it can kind of get out of control. I was impressed with this, and I, I do like this card quite a bit. Next up, we've got Dragonlord Dramoka, four green-white for the 5-7. Can't be countered, flying, lifelink, and your opponents can't cast spells during your turn. Yeah, a really strong sideboard card against some decks, and a main deck card depending on what sort of, I don't know, you could be drafting a big Naya deck or Bant deck or something, but this this card is not, you know, again, like I said, finisher's kind of a dime a dozen, and I think this sort of falls in that camp. And last, we've got Angel of Invention, three white-white for the 2-1 Flying Vigilance Lifelink with Fabricate 2. Uh, so when it ETBs, you can either put two plus one plus one counters on it or make two one one colorless servo artifact tokens and other creatures you control get plus one plus one. It's a great top end card for any sort of white weenie or white token strategy. Absolutely. So when we take a look at this pack overall, this is a pretty weak vintage cute pack. I, th- I would be disappointed to open this pack. Yeah, I agree. There's not like you, you know, there's there's nothing really busted in terms of archetype defining cards or two card combo cards. So, yeah, you're really looking at like role players or maybe some niche strategy cards. So cards that stand out to me as potential first picks would be like Finhorn Elves, the one mana dork, Everflowing Chalice as some colorless fast mana, Kozilek maybe if you're trying to do some sweet busted things like cheating out an Eldrazi if you're into that. That's really about it. Like Fireblast if you want to draft Mono Red. Rashad and Port, maybe if you tend towards aggro decks. You could also like grab Angel of Invention or Ravages of War and try and wheel the other one because they both sort of go in the same kind of deck. I would agree that this is a pretty weak pack. And I think just grabbing the fast mana here, the colorless card, that's like the most flexible. And like, I think you and I are on the same page here. Like if I can draft an artifact ramp deck every time, I'd like to do that. Yes, would sign up for that 10 out of 10 times. So with that being said, I took Everflowing Chalice here as the pick. Great. So that moves us on to pack one, pick two. You see a Searing Spear, one in red for the instant, deal three damage to any target. Either mono red or maybe in some sort of blue red splinter twin deck, like as some cheap early interaction. Not great. Regrowth, one in a green for a sorcery, return target card from your graveyard to your hand. I like regrowth a fair amount in this cube. There's a lot of busted stuff you can do in comboy decks, especially Storm, and regrowth is a pretty key piece in those decks. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like like Dark Dwellers, like this card is just absurdly good with anything like Time Walk or Ancestral Recall. Monastery Swift Spears next. Single red for a 1-2 with haste and prowess. Mono red only, blech. Bone Shredder, 2 and a black for a 1-1 one, one flying echo, meaning uh, the turn after it comes into play, you have to pay its mana cost on your upkeep or you sacrifice it. And when it ETBs, you destroy target non-artifact, non-black creature. This is fine, you know, usually goes in some sort of recurring nightmare type deck. That's a two and a black enchantment that lets you sack a creature to rebuy a creature. Um, Really the only kind of deck I would be excited to play that card in. Yeah, it's also fairly replaceable. There's a lot of these black creatures that like ETB and destroy a creature. And the conditional ones, like now that Ravenous Chupacabra exists, the conditional ones sort of feel a little bit worse than they, they used to. And they already sort of felt replaceable to me. Umazawa's Jite is next two mana for the artifact equipment. Uh, whenever equipped creature deals combat damage, period, you put two counters on Jite and you can remove a counter from it to do one of the following things. You can gain two life. You can have equipped creature get plus two plus two until end of turn, or you can have target creature get minus one minus one until end of turn. And the equip cost is two. This card is busted good in any deck with creatures you will hear cube purists or cube snobs say that umazawa's jite and like some of the swords etc are not good cards in the powered cube because there's more busted things that you can be doing not everybody in an eight person pod gets to do busted things and umazawa's jite is very very good in any deck with creatures and you should pick it if you're going to plan to put like 10 plus eight plus creatures in your deck it's just such a game warping card i also it's just in a league of its own ahead of the swords I would agree with that. I, I think it's sort of on a similar tier with sort of body and mind to me, like those two. Yeah, I still feel like it's just 
it's just a tier above. But yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Sorceress Spyglass is next. Two mana for the artifact. As Sorceress Spyglass enters the battlefield, look at an opponent's hand, then choose any card name. Activated abilities of sources with the chosen name can't be activated unless they're mana abilities. Yeah, this is like a fine main deck card. Maybe uh, if you've got your opponent's got a lot of Planeswalkers, I generally towards lean towards sideboarding this card. Yeah, I would agree. Metalworker is next. This is three mana for a one, two, and you tap it, reveal any number of artifact cards in your hand, and you add two colorless mana to your mana pool for each card revealed this way. Very, very powerful in a deck with like 10 plus artifacts. Yeah, there's a lot of these like niche, like many artifact payoff cards. This is one of them, and I never know when to take it. I'm always like, Maybe I'm supposed to let it wheel. Am I supposed to take it early and like hope to build around it? It's it's tough to find that balance with these kinds of cards, I think. Yeah, usually doesn't wheel. And I think is best in decks with draw sevens, because a lot of times you have to play your other early artifacts out ahead of this. So if you can cast a draw seven or refill your hand with new artifacts, that's when things really start to get interesting. Yeah. Mana Vault is next. Single mana for an artifact. It doesn't untap during your untap step. At the beginning of your upkeep, you can pay four mana if you do untap it. At the beginning of your draw step, if Mana Vault is tapped, it deals a damage to you. Why do we have all this text? I'll tell you why, because it's a one mana artifact that taps to add three colorless mana to your mana pool yeah card is busted you should pick it very highly and it should not go much past like pick three or pick four this is power 20 right i think so yeah gifts ungiven three and a blue for an instant search your library for up to four cards with different names and time out on magic online oh wait sorry and <laughs> hey, you will never and, find me playing this card on stream <laughs> yeah ben, ben goes search your library for up to four cards concede uh, okay <laughs> the text of the card search your library for up to four cards with different names reveal them target opponent chooses two of those cards put the chosen cards into your graveyard and the rest into your hand then shuffle your library yeah it's a difficult card to play with very skill testing draft that one with caution if you are new to cube the most often interaction you'll see is you don't actually find four cards you go and find unburial rights and some fatty to reanimate your opponent has to put both of those into your graveyard. So you do that on their end step. And then on your turn, you reanimate the fatty that you found. Or you'll see things like packages with Eternal Witness or Regrowth, the card we saw earlier, things that can get cards out of your graveyard. So you're right, essentially yeah. getting the cards you want anyway. Right, exactly. Deranged Termin is next. Three green green for a 1-1 one, one with Echo. And when Deranged Termin enters the battlefield, you put four one one green squirrel creature tokens under the battlefield and squirrel creatures get plus one, plus one. So a whopping 9-9 nine, nine of power and toughness coming into play with this creature. Yeah, this is a great threat. Powering this out early in a green deck is very good, and I think it really excels in like a blue-green opposition deck. Opposition's two blue-blue for an enchantment that lets you tap a creature to tap target opponent's creature artifact or land, and if you get enough creatures, you can just essentially lock your opponent out of the game totally. Yeah, feels so bad. Again, one-sided games of magic. Banalish Marshall, white, white, white for a 3-3 three, three human knight. Other creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Goes in white weenie and is very good there. Shouldred Whispering One, five black black for a six six with Swamp Walk. At the beginning of your upkeep, you return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. At the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, that player sacrifices a creature. Yeah, this is a fine reanimation target. Not one of the best, like maybe tier 1.5, I think, but a card you're probably only playing in a reanimator deck. Right. Jace Bellerin is up next. One blue blue for a three loyalty planeswalker. Plus two, each player draws a card. Minus one, target player draws a card. Minus 10, target player mills 20. Yeah, this is a fine little Planeswalker. Would play it in any blue deck, I think. Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's like very unassuming. Um, a lot of times, maybe it's like just draw a card, gain some life because it dies. But uh, don't sleep on that plus ability. That plus ability can get out of hand. Like a three mana, five loyalty Planeswalker is tough to deal with. Bitter Blossom is our last card in the pack. One and a black for a tribal enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, you lose a life and you make a 1-1 one, one black fairy creature token with flying. Yeah, I love Bitter Blossom. I will be picking this card probably too highly, but it's a pretty powerful card. Really excels in the stacks uh, decks where you are interested in sacrificing multiple permanents and sometimes just wins the game on its own if it comes down on turn two. I haven't looked at the full list, but it came out today of like what cards are being swapped in and out. I have some bad news, Ben. What's that? Braid's Cabal Minion is not in this power cube. No! Yeah. <laughs> That's one of my favorite cards. That's only going to increase my win percentage, but I'm, so, I'm so upset that it's gone. I agree. My win rate will go up, but man, yeah. I love Braid's. My enjoyment will go down. So yeah, this is a, definitely a better pack than the first one we saw. What do you like here? Yeah, I think cards that stand out are Umazawa's Jite, Mana Vault, Bitter Blossom. I think those are the three cards I've got eyes for out of this pack. 
And I think I, I ended up settling on Mana Vault. Just fast mana is too good to pass. Mana Vault's one of the top 20 cards in the cube. Don't pass it. Yeah, agreed. Moving on to pack three, you see the following cards as options. So we've got two pieces of fast mana so far. Uh, world is our oyster. We could be going any direction. There's Looter Ilkor, one in a blue for a 1-1 with Shadow. When it deals damage to an opponent, draw a card, then discard a card. So this probably shines the most in a blue-black reanimate deck because it allows you to, you know, churn through your deck and also get creatures from your hand into your graveyard. But, you know, not a super powerful card in this iteration of Cube. Next, we've got Jackal Pup, single red for the 2-1. When Jackal Pup is dealt damage, it deals that much damage to you. Man, this used to just be the creepiest of power creep cards and now it's kind of like at the bottom rung of the one drops you can play like you'll put this in your mono red deck but it's not even a high pick there next we've got golgari signet two mana for an artifact single mana to tap and add black green to your mana pool so ramps and fixes you i think everything we've said about artifact mana applies here Jiraga Tree Speaker, single green for the 1-1 one, one with level up for one and a green. So you can pay one and a green to put a level up counter on it as a sorcery effect. When it's levels one through four, it taps to add two green to your mana pool and is a 1-2. If it's level five plus, elves you control have tap, add green green to your mana pool. So essentially building your own little soul ring here. Soul ring on a stick is how this guy is referred to. Right, yeah, the green soul ring. Uh, this is the best of the green one drops in this cube, right? Yep, I think so. So definitely a very high pick for a green deck, and I think a high pick in general. Desperate Ritual is next. One in a red for the instant. Add red, red, red to your mana pool and has splice onto arcane for one in a red. This is strictly a storm card. If you're not trying to get some spice in your life, avoid at all costs. Cast down. One in a black for the instant. Destroy target non-legendary creature. This is fine, but again, like these Doomblade effects are replaceable so not necessarily high picks you will i think in this version of cube more than others want to value this kind of spot removal but compare something like this to something like even just Doomblade. this is not going to hit a lot of the things that people will be doing quickly like if people are getting out an eldrazi quickly or getting out grizzlebrand or elishnorn or something like that cast down is not going to hit those so I, I would rank this low among the spot removal but something like you know Doomblade or swords to plowshares that has a much wider range of targets that it can hit i think would be good picks and definitely things you want to include in your deck next up we've got urborg tomb of yogmoth legendary land each land is a swamp in addition to its other land types this card is fine right this is not a high pick nope next up we've got sower of temptation two blue blue for the two two flyer when it etbs gain control of target creature for as long as sower of temptation remains on the battlefield this is a powerful effect but very very fragile sometimes it can just run away with the game but you know it can lead to some blowouts as well there's a lot of blue control magic effects in the cube and i prefer them to not be fragile creatures Next up, we've got Recruiter of the Guard, two and a white for the 1-1. One, one. When it ETBs, you may search your library for a creature card with two or less, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. Best home for this card is going to be in some sort of Kiki-Jiki combo deck, where this can find either Kiki-Jiki or one of the cards that it can go infinite with, like Pestermite or Deceiver Exarch. And we've got another Shockland, Godless Shrine, that's the white-black Shockland. So something to note about dual lands, I think, is like where they go in terms of archetypes. Um, Black-white dual lands are very important because black-white decks have very high mana cost requirements. So you're going to have a lot of like one black-black on turn three, but then I want two white-white on turn four. So you're going to need dual lands a lot. Things like blue-green decks, I think, are pretty color-hungry because they need green early for their mana dorks, but they also need blue-blue on turn four for planeswalkers or opposition, that sort of thing. So being aware of like what dual lands are more important than others in terms of what archetypes you have or how highly you need to prioritize dual lands depending on what archetype or color pair you're in, I think is something important to note. Yeah, and I think once you know, like if you're really drafting a color pair, once you know you're in that color pair, you're supposed to take dual lands and fetches of that color pair almost over everything. Yes, absolutely. Again, like what we said, when you get to play more lands or more cards that you drafted, your deck is going to be better. Right, and one of the best ways to win games of cube is casting your busted cards and dual lands help you do that. We've got Pelucranos next, has Monstrosity X for green XX and... Pelucranos becomes monstrous. It deals X damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures your opponent controls, and each of those creatures deals damage in response to Pelucranos. I mean, green doesn't have a lot of access to removal, so it's fine, I guess, if you're in a modern green deck, but this is generally not what the green ramp strategy is about. You're really trying to, like, skip the three, four, and five mana creatures and go from, like, mana dork, mana dork to your primeval titans or your avenger of Zendikars or your crater of behemoths agreed and last we've got armageddon three and a white destroy all lands Oof. 
Ravages and Armageddon? That's some spicy stuff. Yeah, saw Ravages earlier and seeing Armageddon now. Goes in the same deck. Mono White is great there. Yeah, I might be tempted by Jiraga Tree Speaker here because I do think that's the best of the green mana dorks. Um, and there's not much else super powerful. Like Golgari Signet is good, but it's one of the worst signets. Like green signets are generally the worst ones because green has access to better ramp in the one mana dorks. So I think it's between those two for me. Yeah, I ended up on Golgari Signet since I already had two colorless cards. I figured another one was pretty good and could lead me to staying totally open while keeping the ramp thing going. Yeah, makes sense. We got three artifact ramp spells in our pile going into pick four. You see Sakura Tribelder, also known as Steve, one of the green for a 1-1. One, one. Sacrifice it to search your library for a basic land, put that card on the battlefield, tapped, then shuffle your library. Yeah, it's very good, especially with cards like Heartbeat of Spring or Mirari's Wakes, like is one of the best ways to ramp you out. Those are effects that like double the amount of mana each land you control produces. And is like fine, I think, outside of decks with those type of effects. Mm -hmm. Four spike, dare we say it, single blue target spell is countered unless its controller pays one. Yes, will always get me every time it's cast. <laughs> High tide, single blue for an instant until end of turn. Whenever a player taps an island for mana, that player adds an additional blue to his or her mana pool. Yeah, it goes in a heavy blue-based storm deck and not super playable outside of that. Uh, you can make infinite mana in like a heavy blue deck with Palancron with this also as another combo card and then maybe try to like fireball your opponent out. I know that's like something that Owen likes to do on his stream, but is not for the faint of heart. High Tide is an advanced cube card. For sure. Song of the Dryads, Tune to Green for an aura, Enchant Permanent. Enchanted Permanent is a colorless forest land. I think this is surprisingly playable. I always overlook this card, but green doesn't get a lot of removal, and Song of the Dryads is just fine removal. Sometimes you need to get something dead. Yeah, and being able to hit Planeswalkers is big game with this card. A couple dual lands, Savannah, which is just a forest plains, and Overgrown Tomb, which is the black-green shock land. Same thing applies. Legion's Landing, new addition from Ixalan, single white for the legendary enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, you create a 1-1 white vampire creature token with lifelink. When you attack with three or more creatures, you transform Legion's Landing into Adonto the First Fort, which can tap for a white mana, or you can pay two and a white and tap it to make a 1-1 white vampire creature token with lifelink. Yeah, not as good in Vintage Cube as it is in Standard. I think this is like pretty mediocre you'd play it in white weenie decks but i don't even think it's a super high pick there yeah i agree with that hypnotic specter one black black for a two two with flying when it deals damage to an opponent that player discards a card at random this is one of my favorite cards in the cube sometimes you just get out of turn two hypnotic specter and go to town wait what about a turn one off dark ritual baby live in the, the 1993 Ooh. dream yeah i think uh, i think hypnotic specter is probably a little underrated it's a strong card Imperial Recruiter, two in a red for a 1-1. When it enters the battlefield, you search your library for a creature with power, two or less, then shuffle your library, and or put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. Yep, again, goes in Kiki Combo and lets you search up those combo pieces. Huntmaster of the Fells, you're going to tell me you like this card also, aren't you? Two red green. I am, for, I am not. <laughs> two red green for a 2-2. Two, two. It enters the battlefield, you gain two life, and you make a 2-2 two, two wolf token. At the beginning of each upkeep, if no spells were cast, you flip it into Ravager of the Fells. Uh, and then when it flips, you deal two damage to target player and two damage to up to one target creature that player controls. And then if two spells are cast, you flip it back. Dang, I am impressed that you knew what the backside of that was called. Yeah, buddy. Huntmaster is fine. Mediocre, like a good sideboard card against red aggro decks or white aggro decks, but you're almost never playing it in your main deck, I think. Yeah, I think like the only time I'm ever happy to play Huntmaster of the Fells is when I'm memeing with Birthing Pod, which is one of my favorite kinds of like bad decks to draft because I don't think it's good, but I have fun drafting those decks. Elspeth Sun's Champion, four white white for a four loyalty planeswalker, plus one, make three one one white soldier tokens, minus three, destroy all creatures with power four or greater, and minus seven, you get an emblem with creatures you control, get plus two, plus two, and have flying. Yeah, this is a great finisher. Ramping out an early Elspeth is a good way to win a game of magic, and I think this is like a, a top tier finisher as far as six drops go. There, so I feel like maybe what, maybe three years ago, maybe four years ago, I felt like there was a pretty like consistent across the board opinion about what were like the best planeswalkers in each color. And I think none of them are the same now. Like this Elspeth is so good and like new Gideon is so good. I remember feeling like four drop Elspeth was like one of the best planeswalkers in cube period. And it's just so low now. I agree with that assessment completely. Last card in the pack is one of my favorite planeswalkers, a Johnny Vengeant, two red white for a three loyalty walker, plus one target permanent doesn't untap during its next untap step. Important safety tip. It does not tap the permanent. It just keeps it tapped. Minus two, you cast lightning helix, deal three to a target and gain three life and minus seven, destroy all lands target player controls. 
Yeah, this card is great. Goes in both of our favorite archetypes, which is red white balance. So when you see this pack, you've got your three mana rocks. What do you like here? We we don't get to get to just default take an artifact this time. Yeah, no, this is a tougher pick. I think the dual lands are reasonable options just to stay open because there's not a clear direction in this pack. I think Elspeth is another thing I was probably considering as well as a Johnny Vengeant. Like Planeswalkers are just good things to do with fast mana. I ended up settling on High Tide. I must have been feeling pretty spicy. So High Tide's a Storm card and Storm's a deck that really wants a lot of fast mana. Maybe not necessarily artifact mana. So I'm not sure where my brain was at with this pick, but I think any of those duels, Elspeth or High Tide, probably all reasonable options. Well, and something to say about like having all the fast mana from artifacts and then taking a card like High Tide really makes the value of draw sevens go up in value. You really now want to grab any kind of Time Twister, Wheel of Fortune memory jar effect that you can so moving on to pack one pick five maybe on a storm route here you see the following cards as options thirst for knowledge two and a blue for the instant draw three cards discard two cards unless you discard an artifact card yeah this is good good for reanimate if you are looking for a discard outlet good if you've got a lot of artifacts because this can be a, a way to net some card advantage drawing three is a big game next up we've got spectral procession two slash white hybrid mana three of those you can either cast it for six generic mana or three white mana so sorcery put three one one white spirit creature tokens with flying onto the battlefield only going in mono white and is insane in mono white yes especially if you have any anthem effects yeah almost a reason to be mono white in my opinion wow interesting wheeling spectral procession makes me want to draft mono white yeah i i definitely agree with that Acidic Slime, three green green is next. Two two Death Touch when it ETBs destroy target artifact enchantment or land. Yeah, I mean, if Reclamation Sage is good, Acidic Slime is great. And that's how I feel. Wrath of God is next. Two white white for a sorcery. Destroy all creatures. They can't be regenerated. There is an abundance of sweepers in cube, uh, especially in white. But Wrath of God is the best. The four mana sweepers are great. And this is a really strong card for white control decks. Shardless Agent is next. One green blue for the 2-2 with Cascade. So when you cast this, exile cards from the top of your library until you reveal one with converted mana cost two or less and cast it without paying its mana cost. So the dream is to cast Ancestral Vision off of this card, which is the like Ancestral Recall with no mana cost that just has Suspend for a single, Suspend four for a single blue. Uh, Shardless Agent is fine. If you have a reason to want this body like opposition or birthing pod plus like cheap things that you'd be happy to cast off of it i think uh you can find a home for it but it's kind of niche next is lotus bloom speaking of things with no mana cost this has zero mana suspend three and after three turns you get yourself a black lotus so it can sacrifice to add three mana of any one color to your mana pool on delay yeah i mean this is pretty good with storm it's not like as good as lion's eye diamond or black lotus because you can't cast it from your graveyard after you've like cast a yogmoth's will but uh it's still a really powerful card next up we've got jade light ranger one green green for the two one when it etbs it explores and then explores again i'm gonna be casting a lot of those on saturday (laughs) yeah again i think this falls into the same camp it's not not modern cube. This is not an all-star. This is not what the green decks are trying to do. I don't think this is going to be a particularly high pick. Yeah, I got a little excited when I saw it, and then I remembered this <laughs> is a good vintage cube. Yeah. Speaking of cards that aren't as good as vintage cube, next up we've got Glorybringer, three red red for a 4-4 flying haste. You can exert it as it attacks. If you do, it deals four damage to target non-dragon creature and opponent controls. Yeah, I mean, so I think hasty dragons are still good, as uh, as Caleb taught us, but uh, I'm not looking to to take them highly. Next, we've got Fire Drinker Seder, single red for the 2-1. When it's dealt damage, it deals that much damage to you and has the Lords of Limited patent pending smoke breathing. One in red gets plus one, plus oh until end of turn and deals one damage to you. Mono red only. Next up, Celestial Colonnade, our first man land we've seen, I think. Mm-hmm. ETB's tapped and is a blue-white duel, and you can pay three blue-white to make it a 4-4 flying vigilance angel or elemental until end of turn. Excuse me. This and tar pit i think are the best creature lands that exist creeping tar pit the blue black one um but this is fantastic um and definitely a a high pick if you think you're in either of these colors or just like you know not knowing where you're going if you just got three artifacts in your pile for example and last we've got argul's Bloodfast, one in a black for the legendary enchantment uh one in a black pay two life draw card at the beginning of your upkeep if you have five or less life you may transform argul's Bloodfast into Oh, baby, does he know? I don't know the name of it, but you can sacrifice a creature to gain life equal to the sacrifice creature's toughness. Yeah, something like that. This is not you're not playing this in cube. This is way too slow. Uh, Actually, I've cited it in in control mirrors. I think it's good in control mirrors. 
Okay. I, I was previously on your stance and then someone in Twitch chat talked me into it in a control mirror and I think it won me the game. All right. All right. So it definitely had some applications out of the board. So this pack, you know, I feel like there's some di- different directions you can go. I think Lotus Bloom leads more towards Storm. The Celestial Colony feels like more of a, a safe pick, like it's a, a strong card. If you end up in a blue-white control deck, it's also good because it can give you fixing depending on what where you end up. I also always like cards that can help me fix for blue because that leads me out to the powerful blue cards that exist in the cube. Thirst for Knowledge is just good card draw, and we've already got three artifacts in our pile, so I'd be looking at one of those three, I think. And I ended up settling on Thirst for Knowledge, I think is fine in Storm and good in decks outside of Storm as well. Yeah, I think something to take away as you see like Ben and I talking about the picks at the end of these packs, it's very rare that we're like, oh, windmill slam this card. It's head and shoulders above the rest. The cards in cube are powerful and there's a lot of different directions you can go in and it really just depends on what kind of deck you want to draft. Mm-hmm. Pick six, halfway through the picks of cubes in this year, Ben. We've got a Yavamaya Elder, one green green for the two one. When it dies, you may search your library for up to two basic land cards, reveal them, put them into your hand, then shuffle your library. You can pay two to sacrifice Yavamaya Elder to draw a card. It's like the green ancestral recall. Not quite. This is just too much mana, I think, to spend in a card that has pretty little impact on the game. Yeah. Empty the Warrens is next. Three and a red for a sorcery. You put two 1-1 red goblin creature tokens onto the battlefield, and it has Storm. So when you cast this card, you copy it for each spell that was cast before it this turn. Yeah, this is the aw shucks I didn't get past tendrils or brain freeze card. Yeah, for sure. Though, you know, you want to look out for ways to give these haste if you can, like a goblin bushwhacker kind of effect if this is your only storm payoff. Yep, because nothing feels worse than storming off and then your opponent casting Wrath of God. Yeah. For sure. Lightning Strike, one in a red for an instant, deals three damage to any target. Yeah, fine. Could play a mono red or again, early defense in like a Kiki combo type deck. Zergo Bell Striker, single red for a 2-2. It can't block creatures with power two or greater. Who's blocking with their mono red cards? And it has dash for one in a red. You can pay it for its dash cost. It comes into play, it has haste, and then you return it to your hand at the end of turn. Mono red only. And I should I should say about Lightning Strike, another burn that can go to any target as well. Also very useful for killing Planeswalkers. So you're probably playing yeah. them in any red based control deck as well. Right. The burn that can go face is really much better in mono red for that reason. Like one, that it can close out the game, but two, that it can kill Planeswalkers. Hissing Quagmire, another creature land. It enters the battlefield tapped, taps for black or green, and you can pay one black green to turn it into a 2-2 black and green elemental creature with death touch until end of turn fine card i will say one of my level ups last cube season was that i think there's a limit to the number of tap lands you want in your cube decks tap lands are a big cost in vintage cube yeah especially in vintage cube i think because of how quick some decks can be yeah i agree with that assessment blade splicer two and white for a one one when it etbs you make a three three colorless golem artifact creature token and golem creatures you control have first strike yeah i think this is like a great 22nd 23rd type card in almost any white deck just like an efficient card, uh, the two bodies is pretty frequently relevant for a lot of decks and especially good in mono white. Geist of St. Traft, one white blue for a 2-2 with Hexproof. When it attacks, you put a 4-4 white angel creature token with flying onto the battlefield, tapped and attacking, and you exile that token at the end of combat. Yeah, this is fantastic in Vintage Cube. Frequently, you'll play against a lot of decks that are running few to no creatures, and this closes the game out in a hurry and is difficult to interact with from your opponent. Yeah, Storm decks, combo decks have really hard times dealing with Geist. Dragonlord Atarka, 5 red green for an 8-8 with flying and trample, and when it ETBs, it deals 5 damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures and or planeswalkers your opponents control. Yeah, good reanimate target and a good ramp target. And a good, like, sneak attack target. Ooh, and a good sneak attack target. Baneslayer Angel, 3 white white for a 5-5 with flying, first strike, lifelink, and surprisingly relevant protection from demons and from dragons. Yeah, this card is good. I think main deckable in white decks and just absolutely crushes aggro decks out of the sideboard. Avenger of Zendikar is our last card. Five green green for a 5-5. At ETBs, you create a 0-1 green plant creature token for each land you control. And as landfall, when a land enters the battlefield under your control, you may put a plus one plus one counter on each plant creature you control. Yeah, this is a good finisher for the green decks. Something you want to ramp into with lands, ideally, because gets better the number of lands you have on the battlefield like a lot of times green decks try to cheat something in with oh god what's the name of it the two green green card natural order yeah a lot of times green decks try to cheat something in with natural order this is not what you want as your natural order target you want to be casting this on like turn four turn five after you've accelerated a little bit this pack has me scratching my head ben what did you end up doing here yeah there were no good options for me i don't think really for what i had so far i ended up on geist of saint draft uh and maybe drafting just like a normal blue white deck i thought it was the highest power level card there 
that makes sense to me. I might have been tempted by one of the the big fatties here, given all the artifact ramp, but I think Geist is a responsible pick. Moving on to pack one, pick seven. So again, we don't really have direction. We've got artifact ramp. We've got some card draw and thirst for knowledge. High tide as a storm, dipping our toe in storm, and then a Geist. So there's Mana Tithe, my arch nemesis, single white, instant <laughs> counter target spell unless its controller pays one. Yeah, I mean, it's not in pod, so you probably don't hate draft this year. Next, we've got Trigon Predator, one green blue for the two three flyer, and it deals whenever Trigon Predator deals combat damage to a player, you may destroy target artifact or enchantment that player controls. Oh boy, is this a must deal with threat for most decks running powerful artifacts in this cube. Next, we've got Beast Within, two and a green for an instant, destroy target permanent. Its controller creates a 3-3 green beast creature token. Uh, this is sort of the other green removal spell in addition to Song of the Dryads that green has access to. Like Usually green can deal with a 3-3 beast, has tough time dealing with other permanents, so Beast Within is a nice catch-all. I think this is our first fetch, Wooded Foothills. This is the red-green fetch land. A fine card, but red-green is not a great archetype in my opinion, uh, and we don't have any duels yet, so I wouldn't be super excited about it here, but fetch lands are the premium lands to take. We're about to get some direction. Next, we've got Wildfire. Four red red for the sorcery. Each player sacrifices four lands, and Wildfire deals four damage to each creature. Yeah, I mean, this is, in addition to being a pet card of yours and mine, it also goes great with the first three artifact mana that we have, and uh, I would be really happy to grab it here. Next, we've got Thalia, Garden of Thraben. One and a white for the 2-1 first strike, and non-creature spells cost one more to cast. Sometimes awkward in a white aggressive deck, depending on like how many planeswalkers or sort of spell creatures you have, like Lingering Souls or Spectral Procession, but still a pretty good hoser for a lot of opposing decks. Next, we've got Noxious Gearhulk, four black black for the 5-4 Menace. When it ETBs, you may destroy another target creature. If a creature is destroyed this way, you gain life equal to its toughness. Yeah, this is a fantastic card. Again, like I said, there's a lot of these sort of two-for-one creatures that enter the battlefield and kill something. This is definitely one of the better ones. And it being an artifact is relevant in many ways in this cube, so don't sleep on that. Mirari's Wake, speaking of some spice, this is three green-white for the enchantment. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and whenever you tap a land for mana, add one mana to your mana pool of any type that land produced. Yeah, I mean, this is great with Storm, great with creating infinite mana with Palancron. It's got some pretty, like, spicy niche applications. I wouldn't often suggest folks to draft this right out the gate. And last, we've got Force of Will, three blue-blue for the instant. You can pay one life and exile a blue card from your hand rather than pay Force of Will's mana cost and counter target spell. Yeah, uh, super powerful. It's really great to have permission in this format and especially being able to tap out and protect your stuff is incredible. Yeah, so snapped up Wildfire here and, you know, was thinking like, okay, I've got a plan now. Like we're going to ramp. We're going to try to cast a Wildfire, clear the board and have more mana left over than our opponent. I will say that this cube draft has felt like a familiar experience of snapping up some like sweet artifact mana early and then not really seeing that like deck being open, you know, because there are a lot of cards. And I think in blue, especially that care about an abundance of artifacts and not everyone wants them. Like sometimes you'll see a Tolarian Academy late or you'll see a Mishra's Workshop late, that sort of thing. And we haven't really seen anything. So a wildfire is a nice breath of fresh air, but I, I would maybe proceed with caution here too frequently that used to be like three or four years ago you could just draft this deck every single time and people are better at drafting cube now and it's frequently not open as much pack one pick eight nature's claim single green for an instant destroy target artifact or enchantment its controller gains for life a fine sideboard card nothing special terminate black red for an instant destroy target creature it can't be regenerated again like fine in a control deck but you're not prioritizing removal like this in cube i don't think you had a, a flip card here, Nazumi Grave Robber, one in a black for a 2-1. Uh, you can pay one in a black to exile target card from an opponent's graveyard. If no cards are in that graveyard, flip Nazumi Grave Robber. So you have to like have a target to be able to use it the first time. And then yes. once there's no cards, you can flip it. It becomes a 4-2, and you can pay four in a black to put target creature card from a graveyard into play under your control. Yeah, a fine card. You might main deck it, you might not, but you're not going out of your way to pick it up. Yeah, I feel like this never makes the cut for me. Silverblade Paladin, one white-white for a 2-2 with Soul Bond. When it ETBs, you can pair it with another creature, and as long as it's paired, both it and the creature it is Soul Bonded with have double strike. Yeah, that will end games in a hurry in mono-white, and is a fairly good 3-drop in that deck. Phyrexian Revoker, 2 mana for a 2-1. When it ETBs, you name a non-land card. Activated abilities of sources with the chosen name can't be activated. This is good in any aggressive deck, and fine in a controlling deck. Uh, this is frequently going to make the cut in your decks and just, just does a lot for a two-mana card in Vintage Cube, I think. 
Important to note that this, unlike Sorcerer's Spyglass or Pithing Needle, this does shut off mana abilities. Yes. And also, you don't get a look at their hands, so you need to know sort of what you're doing a little bit. Right, right, right. But also, you know, you can also kind of guess when you play a card like this. Like, if you've main deck this and you have to play this on turn two, like, be smart about what you're picking. If you see a swamp, like, pick Liliana of the Veil. Don't just, like, pick anything at random or, or you know, I think make you can make an educated guess. You may not end up having that be relevant, but I think it's it's worth doing. Grim Lavamancer, single red for a 1-1. You can pay red and tap it to exile two cards from your graveyard to shock something. I think mono red only, most likely. Mm-hmm. Or blue red spells. Awakening zone, two and a green for an enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, you put a 0-1 colorless Eldrazi spawn creature token onto the battlefield. That spawn token has sacrifice this creature, add one mana to your mana pool. This card looks terrible, but it actually does quite a bit. It's very good in a blue-green opposition deck. It's also like chump blocks forever. It stymies things like worm coil engine to keep your opponent from gaining life. Like you can block with the creature, sacrifice it so your opponent doesn't gain life. There's just tons of ways this card is relevant. I like this card a lot. Yeah, I'm happy to hear you say that because I do too, but I always feel like ah, I can't play this in Vintage Cube. It's too slow, but no, it can be good. Last card in the pack, Sword of Fire and Ice going so late. Three mana for an equipment, equipped cost of two. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus two, and has pro red and blue. And when equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, Sword of Fire and Ice deals two damage to target creature or player, and you draw a card. Yeah, so this is like about a reasonable time for this sword to go. It's in the middle tier of equipment, like not super great, but if you're playing creatures, you'll want to pick it up. It's very powerful out of the sideboard. And that's actually what I ended up settling on here. I was getting a little nervous, like you said, about the lack of artifact mana. And I had been seeing like some steady white signals. So right at this point, I was thinking, okay, we're about to find out on the wheel if we're going to wheel Ravages of War. And I had seen some good white cards. We'd seen Spectral Procession. We'd seen Blade Splicer. We'd seen Thalia. So there were some mono white cards getting passed. I hadn't taken them because I was hoping to do some big artifact stuff. But I was taking the sword here as a hedge that maybe mono white might be open. And sword is definitely a card you want to play in mono white. Well, let's find out what happens on the wheel. So on the wheel, we did wheel Ravages of War, as well as Dragonlord Dramoka, Rashadon Port, Fire Blast, Kitesail Freebooter, Rex Sage, and Blink of an Eye. And I snapped up Ravages of War. So what that signaled to me was that, one, nobody was drafting white. Fire Blast Wheeling signaled to me that nobody was drafting red. And Rashad and Port Wheeling signaled to me that nobody at the table was either drafting a monocolored aggro deck or was really undervaluing Rashad and Port if they were. The thing that excites me the most about taking Ravages here is that we know Armageddon is like two packs later. And if you can get both of those, that's really nice to be consistently able to fire those off on turn four. Yeah, and so what your mono white deck tries to do is it tries to run out creatures on one, two, and three, and then destroy all lands, and you just get a free win out of nowhere. All right, pick 10. You get another mono white signal here with Banalish Marshall coming around, the white, 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 three, three anthem effect. And, you know, your inklings about mono red maybe being open or right with Monastery Swift Spear and Searing Spear still in the pack. Regrowth should absolutely not still be here, and Bone Shredder and Jace Bellerin as well. Yeah, so snapped up an Alish Marshall and was like, all right, we're doing it, pivoting into mono white. We just need to wheel that Armageddon and pack one, pick 11. We did wheel the Armageddon, snapped it up. There's also a Recruiter of the Guard, Urborg, Cast Down, and Jackal Pup. So mono red, wide open, as is typical in these vintage cube drafts a lot of the time as well. But we are firmly on the mono white train now. And on the 12th day of Cubes Myths, you get your one drop, Legion Landing. You know, I think this is fine. You, you probably playable kind of an interesting interaction with the the geddens like when to flip it or not you know like you can end up getting a land on turn four out of this if you go like one drop two drop three drop and then armageddon and then flip it that's kind of nice to have with the two destroy all land effects yeah and then went on the rest of this draft after getting those signals on the wheel to draft mono white picked up spectral procession pick 13 which was gasoline blade splicer pick 14 and mana tithe pick 15 and then just drafted mono white from there on out. I had found an open open archetype that I was interested in drafting and went to town. I think I ended up 3-0ing with this deck. How do you remember that? Because it was because I went through all my draft logs and it was the first cube draft I did oh. uh, this summer. And I kind of remember starting off with a 3-0. Nice. All right, sweet. I can't believe we thought we were going to get through more than one of those <laughs> for this yeah, episode. I, I also cannot either. That took a while. But yeah. I think there's tons of good information in there. And I think that's a way we haven't looked at Cube yet. And I think it's a really valuable way, like, you know, maybe if you listen to some other Cube episodes, just to wet your feet and like go through a draft with us pick by pick without the magic online clock ticker ticking down on you. Right. And I think it's really interesting that like almost every card in every pack, we had something to say about it. 
well, this this is where this goes, or if this were going this direction, we would maybe want this with X, Y, and Z. And you know, very rarely was it like, nah, like blink of an eye, sad blink of an eye. Didn't really have much to say about that. But other otherwise, those those cards all have some home in this cube. Yeah. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. And remember, we've got our 15-hour stream on December 26th. And by the time you hear this, it'll be the day after this episode comes out. It'll be Tuesday. This episode should release on Christmas Day. Merry Christmas to you all. And then you can hop in on Wednesday, the 26th, for our 15-hour stream. I'll be taking the first shift, and Ethan will be taking the second shift this time around. So be sure to come and hang out with us. You can check out our Twitch streams during the 15-hour stream and Many other days during the year, I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, feel free to shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Some additional content for you. Please check out our Lords of Limited showdown videos. We've got one for Guilds of Ravnica. We've got one for ultimate masters both available for you on youtube you can also check out my latest article for card sphere my 2019 limited resolutions thank you all so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode and the last episode of 2018 of lords of limited thanks everybody see you later Next, we've got Polyke, World Eater, Pelucronos, two green green for the 5-5 five five with Monstrous X, X with green double X for Monstrosity. Um, how do I even say that? <laughs> so many X's. <laughs> it's only two. No, it's X, it's XX green Monstrosity X. Like, it's got, it's such an awkward thing to say. <laughs> It's too many X's. <laughs> you'll you'll get you'll get there. You'll make it there. I believe in you. Okay. Pelucronos has Monstrosity X, so you can pay green and double X. And when <laughs> what? <laughs> I I just got a straight face back. Come on, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just you you the double X really threw me. <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm sorry um, would you say bonfire of the dam cost double x red double x <laughs> no <laughs> oh, i'm crying <laughs> uh, you're gonna have to do this <laughs> <laughs> no you got, you got okay it. hang on i need a drink i'll be back the biggest international festival for the business of podcasting is back the Podcast Show London will bring together thousands of podcast creators under one roof on the 22nd and 23rd of May. Also featuring major industry players, global brands and some of the most iconic voices in podcasting. Plus creator meetups, networking and an evening festival of unmissable live shows. Passes from £89. Book yours now at thepodcastshowlondon.com.